Hello, I'm Lale Arakoglu, and welcome to Women Who Travel, a podcast for anyone who is curious about the world and excited to explore places both near and far from home. Today, I'm so excited to talk to actor and director Lake Bell. I've loved her work since her movie In a World back in 2013. And on November 1st, she came up with an audiobook from Pushkin Industries called Inside Voice, My Obsession with How We Sound. It's a deep dive into, as Lake puts it, our most ignored and least appreciated trait, our voice. In this show, we speak to travellers who have a huge range of accents and dialects. It's fascinating to listen to. Where we live and who we talk to on a daily basis affects how we speak. The pace, the volume, the rhythm... I'm curious to know more. And your name is Lal? Lale. Lale. Because yes. they're spelled very similar, our names. We are. And actually, my name always autocorrects to Lake. So I get many, <gasps> many a Lake. <laughs> oh, Lale. <laughs> Where are you from I'm, originally? I'm from, I'm from London. You're from London, but you're name is quite extraordinary. Yes. My what, what? dad is Turkish, so I have a Turkish name. But you know what is I don't even say my last name correctly because I can't speak Turkish. Well, how would your father or his relatives say it? To my shame, like I literally cannot even, I don't think I can make the shape of my mouth to pronounce it in the correct way. Oh, look who's here. Okay. Lale. She's got, she's got a good bark like on her. I like your name. <laughs> okay, okay, please. Love it, because um, I had a real complex over it at school because everyone said it wrong. Well, so. guess what? You're talking to someone named Lake. So think about what my school life was like. Lake Bell. Two nouns that you can just make fun of that name from every angle, you know? It's like Lake Titicaca, you know, which is a real <laughs> lake in, in America, you know, there's Lake Erie, you know, there's Lake's Got No Waves, you know, that was pre-puberty, but whatever. The point is, now we have the last laugh because exactly. we have cool names. Yeah. It was unfortunate that I was at school at the same time as the Teletubbies. So La La the Teletubby was, was rough. I'm so sorry. I'm so <laughs> sorry for your endurance. But as you said, here we are. Yeah. We have the last laugh. I am so excited to talk to you about your audiobook. I've been listening to it. It's a joy. It's so interesting. It starts, as you know, because you've started in the book. My mother made a really great observation, which is that it is a subject that sort of fans people's vanity a bit and their ego. And then at the same time, gives them an opportunity to be humbled. <laughs> so it's this idea of, Oh, you want to know about my voice? Oh, dear goodness. I hate my voice. I don't understand my voice. And yet we can talk about it some more. You know, it, it yeah. is funny. And, and I'm down for that. I think I like asking questions and learning more about people. It only informs my interest as a narrative storyteller, you know. Everyone's voice is different. And it's the one thing that is truly one of the only things, it's truly only yours. And so it is an excuse to talk about yourself, which is wonderful. But on the flip side, listening back to your own voice, it's like an oddly vulnerable position to be in to have to hear your own voice. 
I know it's both vulnerable and also flattering. (laughs) And it's interesting because obviously we painstakingly observe ourselves in the mirror, right? We look in them. Oh, my hair doesn't, isn't doing the thing today. This blush is not the right hue. Oh, this turtleneck isn't quite right, whatever. But our voices, we never pay attention to. We exercise our bodies because we want our calves to look a certain way, but we don't exercise our voice. We just use it all day long and strain it all day long and don't pay attention to it at all. We're not connected to that as the core element in our communication with other humans when it is. Lale, you have a great (laughs) voice. (laughs) You have a terrific voice. And, you know, I hope that in listening to the book too, if there was one goal, right? If we, if I'm allowed to have a hope and dream in terms of what inside voice can offer is own your true sound. As long as you are speaking from an authentic sound and you are connected, I think, you know, maybe honor it a little bit more, maybe give it a little warm up, maybe have that tea or what have you. I mean, you're British, so you're probably having tea all day long. The color and and texture from all of your experiences allow them to shine and own it. And then don't self-loathe it. You grew up in New York, a place of many accents and many dialects. Is that how your obsession with voices began? 100%. New York City is like London because I lived in London for four years. These are cities that are these you know, they call it the melting pot for a reason. You know, it's like all of the flavors and seasonings and proteins and vegetables of voices are alive and well and thriving and all intermingling. It is the beauty of New York City, and I should say London as well, but it is the beauty of of New York. Because as a kid, whether you like it or not, you are awarded the privilege to hear all of these sounds and, and voices from every continent in the world. And that, I remember, you know, I tell the story about just being on the Crosstown bus, I did, I lived on the east side and I had to get to the west side, upper east side to the west side for my reading tutor. And that Crosstown bus, by the way, New York is a sliver of an island. It's not that long of a drive, but you are going to ingest and sponge up. Your ears are going to be just in a party of different sounds. All right, all right. Not just sounds, but languages, accents, dialects, vocal and tonal qualities. I mean, it's remarkable. And I found it to be one of my favorite parts of my day. You know, it's just, um, you know, I I miss that a bit in L.A. because you do you are in your car. I used to collect sounds from different continents on that bus ride, just like stamps. Like some kids were like, yeah, I'm into stamps or I'm into like wacky rocks that look like hearts, you know? And I'm like, I'm into accents. This is where I am. I need to collect them. And how did, how did you collect them? Was it just a sort of a mental thing? You were keeping like a... As a little girl, it was more mental thing. So it would be like, oh, that, that sound, I like that sound. I would study mouths, you know, the mouths changed. So the mouth 
the kind of like Haitian French mouth or something or any sort of French speaker would be more pursed and the lips would be more frontal. And then, you know, you have Puerto Rican sounds a little bit wider and then like the shapes that, you know, say hard Bronx, you know, or Long Island or New Jersey, you have that kind of, the borough mouths look different, you know, it was like, mm-hmm. and there was also just music to it, you know, the cadence, the rhythm. It's not just, accents and dialects and tonality, but it's also just like the rat-tat-tat, you know, like what's the rhythm of those things? That that I found really interesting. I've definitely been guilty of using my British accent as currency in America. Um, but I'm interested, yeah, you should. <laughs> you know, look, Britain isn't really doing that well on the public stage at the moment, so I might run out of luck. Who is doing then... <laughs> well on the public stage at the moment? <laughs> no one's doing well. <laughs> it's all right. But until then, I'm going to cling to it. But you moved to the UK and arrived with your American accent. You know, obviously you go to drama school, but also outside of that, did you find yourself starting to adapt how you spoke? So this is what's so funny. When I went to drama school, I was the only American at my college. And everyone was like, oh, my God, you're going to lose your accent. You know, you're going to, like, get a British accent when you go. And I was like, listen, I'm going to just stay aware. Off the boat, they just were like, oh my God, you've got to get rid of that. You've got such a strong American accent. I was like, I don't have an accent. You have an accent. Like, uh, sorry, uh, who was here first? (laughs) So then I ended up having to get rid of my American accent for my work at school. Not on a daily, you know, a commute. Okay, but for school and the work that we did there, I I had to adopt and learn. On the other hand, he he was born into the royal family. He has served it. He served the queen and country. Phonetically received pronunciation. I'm I'm impressed with anyone that has the ability to put an accent on because I cannot do any and I just... You can. The voice is far more pliable than you realize. Like there's a set of muscles. You could totally learn mm-hmm. accents and dialects and you could adjust in the same way that, you know, like if, if you worked your hamstrings, eventually they will loosen up. Part of the joy of voice is that it is playful. I see it as totally something to relish and enjoy. And when I travel, I think, oh, I cannot wait to hear the sounds and the shapes of the voices that I will be exposed to, you know, just to speak to what you do. It's totally the the joy of travel is the visual components that our eyes and our design sensibilities or our style sensibilities get exposed to. But then additionally, the vocal qualities, the musicality. I was just in Lagos, Nigeria, and I was just like, for me, it's an extension of language, too. I love languages, but languages are all vocal play. The accents of the Nigerian people felt like home, (laughs) which is so interesting because it's like, I'm from New York. What the hell do I have? But it just felt like the most beautiful sounds. I I just, I, I... I felt a warmth, you know, and I feel that way with Senegalese accents as well. Um, which Were there is also any like, um, specific sort of moments or places or experiences when you were in Lagos that 
you really felt like bathed in that sound. It's a beautiful and vibrant, wonderful town that I will go back to many times in my life. I made great friends there. There was this one moment where I love music as well, because I think that I'm a big dancer and I like to go somewhere and dance. We went to a Nigerian nightclub. And the Nigerian accent, the warmth and kind of kinetic, rhythmic beauty of the language and also the dialect was really sort of rich there. But then additionally, you know, I was doing panels. I was there for an artist symposium called Africa Creative Market. And with women in film, I'm on the board. You know, we had women from Greece, from Brazil, all in Africa. And it was like having a kind of this incredible tapestry of sounds that all got to connect over a like-minded love of film. When you described riding the bus in New York growing up and that you would collect voices, do you find that you're doing that now when you travel? Is that sort of your way of souvenir shopping? Well, so then, (laughs) um, 100%. But also, when I went at drama school, I did get myself a dictaphone and I did start to actually record people's voices and ask them questions, interview them. It looks like it's very overcast outside by now. Um, Looks like it might rain later on. So that I could later on study and enjoy the, the vowels and how they link words and different words sound differently in different contexts and things like that. So you have to really interview someone extensively in order to get them naturally to not feel like, oh, I'm being recorded right now and now I will speak completely different than I normally do. Some of the greatest source material too can be like people getting interviewed in the news and things like that and deep regional You know, it's like a deep, deep rural Welshman being interviewed about the rain. That's going to be great. That's a great source for a regional Welsh accent, you know, because they're not thinking about their accent as they are speaking. I absolutely collect accents when I am, as an adult, traveling, and I am proud of it. And I always ask, where are you from? Ooh. One of my favourite things about making this podcast is engaging with our community of listeners and hearing your thoughts about the show. One of the best ways you can share your thoughts is through the reviews on Apple Podcasts. I was really delighted by a recent one from a user named Kevin that reads, This podcast is like the Moth Radio Hour meets Bourdain. Really compelling interviews and anecdotes that bring you to new places and make you feel like one of the locals. And the host is fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. So, if you're loving women who travel as much as Kevin, please go ahead and rate us and leave us a review and let us know what you've responded to in our recent episodes. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear your review read on a future show. Coming up after the break, more from Lake Bell on how, if we listen carefully as we travel, we can intuit more about the people we meet from their voices. And I ask... Does vocal fry actually exist?
What's your favorite accent and dialect? Oh, great, great question. I feel like on this podcast, I profess my love of New York endlessly. And I think what you were describing <laughs> is it's just so much of why I'm obsessed with it. And whether it is just hearing a Puerto Rican accent or a Italian-American accent or, you know, just the whole kind of patchwork yeah. that I'm obsessed with. As I was telling you earlier, my dad's Turkish, so I also just have a deep fondness for a Turkish accent. Yes. And Could you give me a, a taste so the, of it? The only taste that I think I can give of a Turkish accent, because to my shame, I cannot speak a lick of Turkish. I cannot do an accent for it. But the Jesus silence. So the end of my last name, I always say Oglu, but it should be like Olu. And so okay. it's the silent G, I think, is a lot of what always catches my ear. You have a relationship to a language from growing up or, you know, from family members or friends or something that you get like a spidey sense when you hear it. I and mean, if I'm walking yes. down the street, my ears will always pick up the Turkish people. Yeah. <laughs> and I won't notice anyone else. Yeah. So you're laser focused. Yeah. I yeah. think that's really interesting. I think that the G's, that's it. Okay. Yeah. There, there are things like, you know, my stepmother, she hailed from Philadelphia. So her whole family had those Philadelphia... Um, like they say, wooder instead of water. So wooder. And that, that little sound for me, I'm like, I can spot that, you know, I could be like reading, texting, listening to music and I can hear it, you know? And I'm like, oh, you Philly? You know, like immediately. (laughs) Uh, What part of Philly are you from? You know, so then, you know, same with, you know, sometimes when people are trying to kind of hide their sound, like, especially in in the UK, when they're like, they're feigning a little bit more Southern and posh or whatever, but then you hear certain vowels expose themselves or, you know, instead of TH, a little F, you know, those kind of things. It's actually funny you mentioned that. And it's funny you mentioned a Welsh accent because my mother is Welsh and grew up in Wales, but Mm. sounds exactly like me because my grandmother, who was Welsh, forced all her children to speak in English accents. I think because she thought it would give them some sort of greater start in the world if they have the Queen's English rather than a Welsh accent, which is a beautiful accent. Welsh is beautiful. This is the core of what I find so curious in the caste system and the kind of hierarchical system that we're still adhering to Even in our modern days, we have our version of generalized American news broadcast accent. That's the view of the president. That's the view of the secretary of defense. And there's no reason anyone should think otherwise. This is what authority sounds like. This is what power and strength and wealth, in a way, sounds like, right? That I have a bone to pick with because I think that me too. I grew up in New York and my mom, you know, it was just a different time. She grew up in Long Island, but she sounds like a news media broadcast. Okay. And she, when I would come home and I'd be like, Hey, you know, that guy's kind of stupid, you know, or whatever, or like what that, you know, like, I don't want to talk, you know, I don't want to talk to that guy. You know, she'd be like, um, no. The female voice is under great inspection and criticism throughout history and continues to be, uh, you know, under the microscope. And it particularly is 
highlighted in politics, right? So politics is just a great, it's a great case study for why everyone's got a bone to pick with the female voice. What female sound is electable? You know, how can we get a female president of the United States, you know, even women of power, you know, in general, we have historically, we can look to, okay, Margaret Thatcher. But that all attempts to destroy democracy by terrorism will fail. She went to vocal elocution and actual vocal coaching to lower her voice. And, you know, in the book, we kind of look at that and say, okay, so I think it was Amanda Montel who said, oh, you know, and, and the public kind of thought she was bonkers. And I was like, well, not that bonkers, because she was elected twice. It was an attempt not only to disrupt and terminate our conference. It was an attempt to cripple Her Majesty's democratically elected government. I think that I am guilty of that. I lower my register when I want to be taken seriously. And that leads me to a very complex discussion about very feminine, female-sounding voices that go all beyond the spectrum to even sexy baby, which we talk about in the book. And that, for me, is conflicting because I want women to sound however the fuck they want to sound. Like, I don't like feeling conflicted about it. But the truth is, and what I've, I've really, really put a lot of thought into this, is, and Malcolm Gladwell actually interviews me in the book about this conflict because I wrestle with it daily. I want to say it doesn't bother me that a woman would speak like a sexy little baby, okay? But it does. And I am conflicted about that because I want women to sound like women. And when you grow up, your voice does become rounder and hormonally changed. You know, it changes from being a little girl. And so if you are going to sexualize a child sound, that bumps me. That said, if you naturally have a high-pitched sound, if it's authentic to you, then I'm like, let's go. Let's go with God. Like, you know, I have dear friends who just have a higher pitch sound. I did a, a live show with my friend Kate Micucci last night. And, you know, I brought her on stage because I she has a very naturally off the truck, okay, high pitched sound. And she's a grown woman with and she's a mother. And I've just always known her to have that sound. And so you can tell in her performances that she is speaking from a very authentic sound. She just has a high pitch and that's it. Now, what I have trouble with is when it is put on so that mm -hmm. when it's put on as like something to be alluring and more accepted as a sexual object or something like that. I am not saying I'm correct. <laughs> I'm saying I'm a human being who's, who's still in process on it. vocal authenticity is so important to me. It's level 10. So when I speak to my children, I understand there are different voices that they get to commune with because sometimes it's, you know, I'm going to tell you a story before bed, okay? So I want you to get really snuggly and feel good, 
okay? Because you're a beautiful, sweet girl. And, you know, there's that, and that's lighter and softer and more sort of higher in pitch, you know? And then there's, there is no biting in this house. I will not say it again, you know? And so... You know, there's really, there's a multitude, there's a real (laughs) spectrum of what is authentic. And I mean both of them, okay? Our voice wields all kinds of powers, whether they're, you know, softness and that's what I mean by pliability. It's like there's movement and great dexterity and like athleticism in the vocal tools. And, you know, I've been seeing these articles, people giving great criticism to women who podcast, right? Because people are, they feel very comfortable to criticize because they can't see you, right? So they can't criticize your hair and your, uh, you know, whatever you're wearing and blah, blah. So they're forced to look for something to criticize as they always do. And it's frustrating. I think one thing that has come up and when I speak to other women I know who have podcasts or their voices are somewhat in a public sphere, Mm -hmm. vocal fry is something that comes up a lot. Yes. Do you think we even know what vocal fry is anymore? Has it has the term become so watered down into an insult that's cast against a way of women talking? Or do you think vocal fry still is something very specific and can you define it? Yes. So vocal fry is not exclusive to women. Okay. It is a quality of sound that is kind of like a, rev- again, I'm not a doctor. Okay. It is a sound that has a croak, right? And when that croak is applied over and over again, it can get longer or be just like little abbreviations of croak, but it ostensibly is like a trend. It's like a vocal trend. So it's like vocal skinny jeans. My mom called me recently and she said, you know, oh my gosh, this woman was in customer service and I felt like her fry was getting in the way of me trying to understand if she was actually trying to help me or if she was just being passive aggressive and trying to just placate me. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, You know, it's like, thank you. I think of the voice having a multitude of tools that it can use. I do think, especially like, for instance, my mother is not a performer, but when she gets on the phone with her friends from England, she does start to fall into this like mid-Atlantic, just even with the vowels. I'm just noticing it with the vowels, but she does it a little bit. I don't think my mom is wildly inauthentic, but I think that her voice is bending a bit. It's just bending a little bit in order to shape into something that helps her communicate with the, with that person. I walk into a bodega in New York City, and as opposed to me and my BBC voice ordering a bagel that's lightly toasted and some schmear, <laughs> I'm going to go in and be like, 
yeah, can I get it? Yeah, can I get an everything? Can I get everything, but easy on the easy on the toast? You know, can you just just two? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, and then it's gonna be like lox and schmear, lox and schmear. You know, that's gonna go over better. Just it's gonna just immediately make things move quicker. <laughs> And mind you, I am someone who's more aware of it, but I can do it with great ease. My mom is not aware of it, and she's just allowing herself access to her toolbox without her even knowing it. When you were talking about going into bodega and ordering a bagel, I so I've ended up marrying an American. He's from <gasps> rural Pennsylvania, very different from London. I was like in a just a random restaurant with his family and tried to order a glass of water <laughs> five times. Until I finally had to acquiesce and go, can I get a water? And then you did. Got it right away. (laughs) See, perfect example, because now someone in rural Pennsylvania just hasn't heard your sound before. So they don't. So that's just exposure. Right. So their ear is malfunctioning. They can't understand what you're saying. And you're like, well, I'm saying it so clearly, (laughs) you know, can't say it any other way. (laughs) I know. And then you just thought this is the perfect example. So maybe you will feel comfortable and you'll still be authentic to Lale that you have this moment where occasionally, yeah, with your in-laws or sometimes when you're traveling, just to make things easier to get the ticket because you need that train ticket. You don't want that to screw up. You'll just say it in an American accent, not because you're inauthentic, just because you're using your tools. He was deeply disturbed by the voice that came out of my mouth, though. (laughs) But you got that water. You can't be dehydrated. (laughs) I did. I was very thirsty. Let's get a drink. Let's see. Oh, my God. I'd love to. Listening to voices on a journey, whether it be in town squares or cafes or markets, is one of the great highlights of travel. There's often a musical burst of sound that's so energising. But next week, I'm chatting to an athlete who prefers to experience the world in the silence of pristine mountain peaks by competing in ultra-running competitions and expeditions. Terrible things can happen in the mountains, don't get me wrong, and they could happen to me at any time. But I don't think about them too much, and I just deal with what comes along when needed. I'm Lale Arikoglu, and you can find me, as always, on Instagram at Lale Hanna, and follow along with Women Who Travel on Instagram at Women Who Travel. You can also join the conversation in our Facebook group. Alison Leighton Brown is our composer, Jennifer Nelson is our engineer, Jude Kampfner from Corporation for Independent Media is our producer. Let's get a beer. Let's get a beer.